Father, we come to you, Lord. Before the ministry of the word, Lord, we need you. We need you to hear your voice. We need you, Lord, to understand what you speak to us. I pray the fog would be lifted off our minds. Not only us. All those who would listen over the days and the weeks on the net. That scales would be continuously lifted off our eyes. That we see what you are trying to tell us. For Father, we are there at the last hour. And we need to know, Lord. We need to discern the times. As we study the word and look at the fig tree blossoming, help us, Lord, to be complacent. That there would be that quickening in our inner man, like that hour when Israel left Egypt, tucking their clock in their girdles, with a staff in their hand, they made haste to leave this world. And I pray, Lord, in our inner man, there would be a tightening of that belt of truth. Because your word says the church can hasten coming of the Lord. Help us to hear, Lord, constantly what you are trying to tell us, Lord, even now, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll read first 12 verses from Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me give you a little recap. Uh, Theologians, like sometimes we don't know certain things for absolute sure because of the times these letters were written. But theologians, those who study these things say the first epistle Paul wrote was First Thessalonians and not Romans. Okay, First Thessalonians, not Romans. Though Romans has been put first in terms of doctrine, the first letter to be written was First Thessalonians because the church was starting to panic about the coming of Jesus Christ. So you need to realize how they lived and how we lived. So the first letter to be written was to clarify about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So therefore, this address. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Okay, He says, don't get Don't panic that the day of Christ has come. You all have been left behind. Okay? So he says, no. Let no one deceive you by any means. 
for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition or destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should not. They should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These are real, frightening verses. Okay? Imagine writing the first epistle to the church. It's to scare you like, no man. But those are real servants of God. Okay? And scripture talks about this. You see, when a vehicle is going down the slope, the only thing that keeps it going down fast is that one foot on the brake. And the world is actually on its last stretch downhill. And the only thing that is stopping it going down fast is the one who restrains. God has put his feet, foot on the brake. The Holy Spirit that restrains. Otherwise you would just go down. Okay? It's God who restraining it. And if you have eyes and ears, like Rishi actually said, it's a good thing not to read news. It's very depressing. Very, very depressing. News is depressing. The real news is depressing. Even as we are talking, there is almost uh, Israel and Syria at the brink of a war. Okay? And you need to realize They are not fighting actually Syria, but the Iranian forces in Syria, which is the old Persia. And there is Turkey. That's the Chaldeans knocking at the door. There is Rush in the old continent, which is Russia, right there. Everything, all the pawns in the game of Ezekiel 38 and 39 are right there. And all it takes is one spark. And before we know, everything that we see will start falling apart. It will affect Everybody. It doesn't matter where it takes place. Okay, so the world is at the brink of a lot of things. It's just God who's restraining it. And if you look at the streets, evil is increased. And the sudden spurt of occult, not just occult, occult was always there, but occult has been normalized. It is the norm now. Occult has is the norm. They're out on the streets, in the Christian world especially. 
and the church is literally caught like we say in english like a deer at the headlights like you know doesn't know what to do i mean we are living in an age where deception is at the highest highest verse 3 says why do people fall away let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come until the falling away comes first why do people fall away because they are deceived now you need to understand when i stumble and fall i am aware when i am deceived and fall i am unaware please understand this this is the danger okay when you are deceived and you are falling away you don't even realize you are falling away because you are deceived okay and why did they get deceived verse 10 and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish simply because they did not receive the love of the truth it's not receiving the truth it's more than that like when we are preaching we preach from the word of god which is truth that is not the key it is receiving the love for the truth that's what god is looking for that's the only thing that can save you and me from deception meaning lord it doesn't matter how hard it is and how i have to change my life i will receive it that's the key that's the key that is the love of the truth because truth is very painful because truth demands a verdict and it demands change so we have to receive the love of truth not just the truth the love of truth and he says they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved so keep this at the back of your mind that deception is the most dangerous things most dangerous things remember a couple of sundays back we had looked at the foundations the foundation when you build anything the most important part of your structure is foundation and psalm 11 and verse 3 says if foundations are destroyed what can the righteous do which is which is a fact i cannot take you but i wish you came with me to the churches where i go around this this nation and parts of the world what shocks you is how do you get this church back to their basics because their foundations are wrong absolutely faulty foundations what can you do when the foundations itself is destroyed remember a couple of sundays back we i wonder whether you have that graph of that units and digits which i gave you 1000 2000 okay you remember that simple one because the most important part of my faith life is my foundation because superstructure if it is wrong you can always go around and change it but how do you change your foundations how do you change your foundations you'll have to go back i don't know you'll have to that is one of the reasons i know so many people who have gone and got baptized again because when they heard the word they realize i just changed religion i'm not saved i really am not saved and i'm standing on faulty foundations 
And Jesus talks about building our life. So please remember this. The primary foundation in Hebrews 6, I'm not going back there, is the first one is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's the first one. Look at this as the first one. First column, repentance from dead work. That's the first column. Now what happens if you go wrong in the first column? Instead of one, I wrote two. You see, the amount has changed drastically. It's not thousand. It is two thousand. If I were to tell Samir, Samir, give Akshar a thousand rupees and he heard it as two. And then he comes back and says, Pastor, I gave, give me the money and Akshar has disappeared. I said, I told you to give one. You gave two, that's your loss. You see, if we go wrong at this, what is the loss in life? Your foundation was totally wrong. If you went wrong here, you went wrong only by 200 digits. If you went wrong here, you went only by 20. If you went wrong here, you went only wrong by 2. So scripture is very clear. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. If you go wrong on resurrection of the dead, it doesn't really matter. You still will be in heaven. And then you can get your theology right. But you go wrong here. You are dead meat. Okay. So remember. We cannot go wrong. So scripture is very clear about the church. How the church constantly, continuously prepares and works on their basics to see constantly. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying yet once more I shake not only the earth but also the heaven. He says I will shake everything once more. And then. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of these things that are being shaken as of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. God is saying one more time before the end comes he will shake everything. Everything. Everything he will shake so that what remain will be that of God. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, salvation is the beginning of the kingdom of God in us. He says when everything is shaken and fallen apart, the only thing that will be left is the kingdom of God in you. The shaking does not begin in the world first. It begins in the house of God first, with God's people first. Everything he says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Reason for our God is a consuming fire. Okay? So keep all this 
always in your mind, the strength of any structure is dependent on the foundation. And the strength of any believer's life will be dependent on the strength of your faith, your foundations of your faith. That's the nature of the kingdom. Because he's bringing in, assuring in an eternal kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, remember the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, was introduced to mankind by John the Baptist. The nature of this gospel was so radical, so radical. It took once in a lifetime opportunity for an old man called Zachariah. Only once in his lifetime the lot will fall. And when the lot falls on your name, you get once in a life opportunity to enter into the holy place, go as far as the holy of holies and burn the incense. That was his once in his life chance. Zachariah got, he reached there, angel came and spoke to him. That your wife is going to bear a child. And the child has been set apart for the purpose of God. He doubted. So he had to remain silent for nine months without speaking. And then when that son is born, he's named John. All because of the message. Everything is connected with the message this boy is going to bring. This young man is going to bring. And when that little baby became a child, because of the nature of the message he's supposed to bring, to see that that message would never be contaminated by the world and the doctrines of the world and the ideas of the world and the philosophies of the world, this child had to live an un- incredibly difficult life. It is written in Luke. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. God kept him in the desert until he was 30 and introduced to Israel. Because of the message. So you you look at these people and look at John, you look at his life and you understand. For a man to be kept in the desert from childhood till 30, And there's another verse in Matthew. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. In every way, his life was different. Secluded in the desert, eating honey and locust with a camel hair coat, not dressed like anybody in that world. All because of the message. That at 30, when he steps out into the desert, he looks like a very strange creature. And the word comes up to his mouth. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. That's when the kingdom was introduced. Because of the message. And the message is so radical, everything changes. Because it was the signal of the beginning, of the end of this world system. Created and ruled by Satan. And it was also A declaration of war. Jesus had to say this in Matthew 11 and verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He says, you want to enter into the kingdom of God? It will take a lot of violence. You will have to be violent with yourself. And the cry of John was very simple. 
In Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It is here. That's how the gospel begins. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. So if you put the earlier verse and this together, The kingdom of God advances with violence and the violent take it forcefully. Repent and the kingdom of God is here. So where do you apply the violence? In your repentance. That's where the violence is applied. You, your repentant friends, the life of repentance is really spiritually violent. That extreme violence is seen in the nature of your repentance. And so many people do not feel they are saved. It's simply because of the nature of your repentance. Because if somebody is violent towards you, you will feel it. Okay. Let's dig a little deeper. Because if repentance is the first stone... And faith towards God is the second stone. We also be very sure the greatest deception will be aimed at these two stones. These two stones. Not in baptism. Not in laying of hands. Not in resurrection of the dead. It's in the first two stones. Much of the deception is aimed at. So let's Dig a little deeper. Jesus talks to those people who keep coming to him. He said, if you fathers being good know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give you good gifts? Right? So God is good. Say, repeat after that. God is good. So God gives only good things, right? James will say every perfect and good gift comes from above. Now let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. In humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Do you realize repentance is a good gift from the Father? I would say the best gift, honestly. If you really want to escape the snare of the devil through deception to do his will, the deception is staring in your face when Lady Gaga talks about Christianity (laughs) and tells that Mike Pence is not the Christian, she is the Christian. How deceived people can be. And millions swallow it. It's staring at our face if you really know what's happening. So we have to pray, Lord, give me this gift of repentance that I might escape the snare of the enemy. Ask and receive. That's the first gift you and I all need more than anything else. Continuous gift. Now let's look a little deeper so that we understand. Repentance is not a change of mind. Alone. It's much deeper. Repentance is a change of heart. And the Bible talks about the heart 
He talks about the absolute core center of your being. That's why God says, love God with your mind. He didn't say that. He said, love God with all your heart. And scripture says, if you believe with your heart. So repentance has to be of the heart. And then faith towards God also has to be of the heart. It's much deeper than the mind. Repentance of the mind alone does not work. It does not work. You need repentance coming from the heart. So how do you, def- how do you identify true repentance? If there is false repentance, there has to be true repentance. If there is true repentance, there has to be false repentance. How do you identify which is true, which is false? We only look at scripture. Okay? True repentance is identified by two things. One, the sorrow and two, the following action. Now remember, when the Bible talks about repentance, repentance is not first associated with man. It is first associated with God. Genesis 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. You see that? It doesn't start with God. It starts with man. The title of today's message is When God Grieves. God grieved. He repented he had made us. And he grieved. Okay? So there is what you call repentance. There is an incredible grief, sorrow that is in the heart. It has to be followed up by action if it has to reach its natural conclusion. Otherwise, it still doesn't bring any change. God repented. What did he repent about? That I made man. And he grieved. Second part of repentance, verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. He says, as a result of my repentance and my grief, what I'm going to do, I'm going to clean them out. I'm going to destroy it all. So true repentance is when we have done something There is an incredible grief and an action which removes it completely from our life. That's repentance. That's not a change of mind. That's not a trimming of branches. As John the Baptist will come repent and he says the axe has to be laid to the roots. Not trimming the branches or cutting the trunk. And as long as that doesn't happen... We do not experience the actual joy and the confidence of salvation. So you see there is intense grief and there is a corresponding action. That is what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. In Acts chapter 2 verse 37, when on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, scripture says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. In the first letter of Corinthians, 
You don't have to turn there. When Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, it's because of their ignorance. A lot of things are happening in the church which they have no idea is against the will of God. So when the first letter is written, when they get that letter, they look into their life, look into their church, and they are shocked. They are shocked. Oh my gosh. You see, you can sin in ignorance. God is okay with that. Not okay with that. He says, those things I overlook. But when you have knowledge of it, he looks how you react. So in the book of Acts, he says, the seasons of ignorance I have overlooked. I winked it. But once you have knowledge of the word of God concerning something in your life, God is trying to see, how do you react? And our reaction will show us whether we have the gift of repentance or not. That's what happened. As soon as they got the letter, no justification, no blame game, nothing. They went into action. And Paul is tickled pink. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. He says, I am sorry to make you sorry, but I am not sorry that you are sorry. <laughs> he said... For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. I don't want you to suffer no loss. He says, no, no, no. That was not my intention. My intention was restoration. For he says, for godly sorrow produces repentance. Let's put it the other way, both ways. Repentance produces godly sorrow. Godly sorrow produces repentance. God repented and it grieved him. It grief will produce repentance. It works both ways. Repentance brings godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Then only it is complete. Leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. He says it leads to salvation. You are free in that area. You will never regret it again. He said it was worth it. It's worth it. I am not looking at my loss. It was a waste of my life. Going in that area. It was a waste of my life. I have turned completely. But sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world doesn't penetrate the heart. It's only the mind. A mind can always play games. That's why if you receive a miracle with your mind, you experience it, but you only receive it with your mind. A little later, you can justify it. Ah, I don't think it really happened. Problem is, everything of God has to be first received with the heart if it has to bring change. But sorrow of the world produces death. You will grieve and you will take action. And verse 11 will talk of the action. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. All things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Remember Jesus girls? Remember the day in the lower apartment you found traces that there was a rat in that apartment. And I was watching on the camera. Everything in that apartment came out. What zeal to find that rat. <laughs> it is only this big. But you poured the whole kitchen, everything out. 
clean that whole place. Threw away a lot of stuff. Got the rat. Then put it all back. God is talking about similar. Is that how you look at your life? You're not dealing with sin. You're also dealing with all that caused it. I'm not going that way again. What zeal? What diligence? What clearing of yourself? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? God is saying that's how you put it away. Sorrow, repentance, action. Jesus, I don't think anybody in the Bible or history has put it repentance in such the harshest terms as possible is Jesus Christ. Not any apostle. This is how he says drastic you should be in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it off from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You know what? The kind of repentance. Can you imagine Ezra coming back to Jerusalem? The church, the temple has stopped, been stopped building for a long time and he's come back and he says during the interim period the Jews have compromised completely including the eldership. They all have married Gentiles and everything. And Ezra is standing and weeping and weeping and reading the word and weeping and weeping. You know actually what happens? The Israelites, the repentance was so deep. They put away their Gentile wives and children away. Can you think about that? That is the law. Okay, so now I'm not in the new covenant. God says if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, let him say that is new. But what I'm talking about, do you see what that did? Think about it. You've been married, you've got three children, and the children are six, seven, eight, and then the priest comes and he reads the law. The Spirit of God started cutting you, and you realize if you want the Spirit, and this is not even in a time of prosperity. You are slaves who came back, the land is deserted, nothing is happening, you are slaves under the Babylonian. It's got nothing to do with what is happening in your life, it's got to do with God. And they take such drastic actions. Sometimes you have to. That's what happened to me years ago when I had to do my I wrote my first chapter, I wrote my second chapter, then I realized you can't go forward. I can only one way I can finish my PhD. I compromise on my faith. Because in English, what happens, that's why I love all these people who are doing not in literature. Because you won't get a supervisor who will accept a godly theory. It's impossible to find one. All the theories which you apply on your work are ungodly theories. God says, you want me or your PhD? I said, you dumped and came out. But Pastor Vidya said, you finish because you are in robotics. You don't have issues with theory. Never do a work. One day you will be ashamed of. Oh, it may be in the library. Your name will be all on that. At what price? At what price? People will say, ah, oh, great, we are using it for it. They may quote you in 15 other and you have to put your head in shame. Lord, I denied you and they're quoting me. There are different ways in which we deny God. And God says, you know, repent from those ways. The question is, what is the dif- difference between a repentant heart, now we go f- 
further into the heart. Okay, I'm being a cardiologist today. What is the difference between a repentant heart and a repentant mind but an unrepentant heart? You need to see the difference, right? Mind seems to be repenting but the heart is not. And there is a heart and the mind that repents. How do you know the difference? Difference is this. The repentant heart and mind says, I choose anything God chooses for me. The unrepentant heart says, I choose what I feel is good for me. Whatever God says, if it is good for me, I will choose it. So because they are choosing the good things of God, they think they have a repentant heart. But the bad things of God, they won't choose. What is difficult? They won't choose. So you have an unrepentant heart, but a repentant mind. The mind is making the decisions. But here when you have a repentant heart, it doesn't matter. So actually, it begins with an attitude or posture of the heart. If your heart is not surrendered to God, let me tell you, God cannot talk to you continuously. Because God can only talk to a heart that is surrendered. A lot of people have heard from God. They walked with a season for God and they have stopped. And after that, they are still where they are. Like I told you about Abraham. Abraham has to continuously hear from God and everything that he hears will take him to a different level with God. Will ask him to leave something. Circumcise all the males. God speaks again. Right? After Lord departed, God spoke to him. Listen to your wife. What she's saying is true. Throw Ishmael and the bond woman out. God speaks to him again. Take your only son. Travel three days. And offer him as a sacrifice. Three days later. Live the life. Don't kill your son. It's a continuous process. Because it's a heart that is surrendered. God will not talk to a heart which will not circumcise. God will not talk to a heart which will not throw the son out. God will not talk to a heart which will not take the son, other son and bind him and lift the heart. How can he talk? He looks at the heart and he knows this man will obey. But the unrepentant heart is saying, God speak to me, but I make the decision. And we confuse because we have chosen so many things of God, we don't realize the things of God that we have chosen are good things. So ignorance is only the second issue, not the first issue. The first issue is got to do with the heart. If the heart is right, God can keep on showing you stuff and you will say, I'm so sorry Lord, 2018 I did this. God says, I know, but I'm able to show it to you because your heart is right. So that's what scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but see who wins. And he knows whose will is submitted to his will. So as knowledge keeps on coming, we are able to change according to the knowledge because the core part, the heart is right with God. It's a repentant heart. It's not a mind. It's a heart of repentance. You see this in Acts chapter 9 verse 6. So trembling, this is Saul of Tarsus, Apostle Paul, when he encountered Jesus, astonished trembling, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. 
That's where he begins. But when he begins, he first thing he does is, he doesn't understand. First thing he does is, he puts his heart right. Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. From that day, God could continuously speak to him. Therefore, he wrote one third of the New Testament. Because of his heart, not because of his scholarship, because of his heart. That's why foundations are so, so important. Because if our foundation of repentance is not the first foundation on which we go, as God shows you the error of your ways, we will not change. The first place he cannot show us the error of his ways. If you ask somebody like Saul, whose heart was never right with God, but mind was kind of accepting, not accepting, but heart was never right, God says, you are wrong. He says, no, I am not wrong. I am right. You did not obey. I obeyed. That's how, no, 90% is obedience, right? God says, no, only 100% is. 90% is not obedience. Only 100% is. Like, I came to church at 9, 1. Isn't that okay? <laughs> the point is not at what time you came. The point is what time did God come? <laughs> that is how you look at it. It's not what time I came. It's what time did he come? Is our God a 100% God or is a 90% God? That's how. So he says, I have obeyed. God says, if you have obeyed, what the sound I hear? Again, the people... Wait a second, are you, the, are you not the king? <laughs> are you not the king? Understand this. That's why foundations are so important. So on the day of Pentecost, salvation begins with the heart. Their heart were cut and they ask, what must we do? Peter answers. Okay, this is Peter's answer. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that that's, that's uh, before they re react. He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Savior. Now, look at these two words that's introduction of the gospel to a generation. God has made Jesus Lord and Savior. They're intricately tied. You cannot separate it. Where I don't give lordship, he cannot save. And where he has saved me, he has lordship. That's how it works. He has made him both lord and savior. They are connected. Every area of your life where you actually know you have given lordship to Jesus, you are saved in that area. You don't struggle in those areas anymore because he is king there. Where you have not given him lordship, he cannot save. Because when he comes into our life, he comes as Lord and he saves. It is the Lord who saves. And so many people sitting in churches worldwide, especially in these last days, are sadly not saved. They have changed religion or accepted religion of their parents in the houses or churches that they were taken to, but they are not saved. Because there is no heart faith. There is only a mental ascent. Mentally they have accepted. But there is no real heart change. And they confuse one for the other. How did that happen? 
because they have been deceived right at the beginning of this journey. That's why I said the greatest deception is aimed at salvation. That's where the greatest deception is aimed. Let me explain to you in terms of a salesman. Okay, let me explain. It's another man's illustration some time back, but I'm borrowing it, rephrasing it a little and say, Dr. David is, uh, Dr. Richard is here, okay? Now I'm being a salesman. I want to sell him my bike. I tell, okay, it's only six months old, driven only 1,000 kilometers. It's perfect. It's been serviced. I give him all, everything, and he tries it, he likes it, and I sell him. Okay? I did not tell him the oil leaks at times. The engine ceases at times. What did I tell him? Everything I told him is true. But I was not honest. Everything I told him is true. Everything I told him is true. But I was not honest. This is the issue today, especially for 30, 40 years behind the pulpit, right from the beginning, but till much more today. Or sometimes you listen to the pastors and preachers. Everything they say is true, but they are not honest. They are not honest. They only tell you one side of the picture. They don't tell you the other side of the picture. As long as I don't tell you the other side of the picture, your repentance is really never affected. It's never activated. So they're actually consistently dishonest. And actually what happens? They are guilty of the blood of their congregation. They have blood guilt upon them. Because every servant of God, like his God told Ezekiel, is his job is to blow the trumpet. If they take heed, good for them. Their blood won't be upon your hands if you have blow. But if you don't blow the trumpet and they are ignorant, he says, their blood will be upon you. So in the book of Acts, in the Ephesus church, when Paul is leaving, he makes this incredible statement which I have often have to point to pastors. He says, look at a man. He's been a pastor in this church for three years. He ministered day and night with tears. Tears. It's a rarity today. Pastors, tears. You know what he says? Therefore I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have nobody's blood on you. Three years, I taught you day and night with tears. I am innocent of your blood. Why? For I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. I was an honest preacher, not just true to one side. I was an honest preacher. I told you everything about God. All that I know about God, I told you. What we hear today is just one side of God. One side of Jesus. The point is that if I only focus on one side of Jesus, it is not so confusing actually. After 20 years, 30 years of hearing only one side of Jesus, why a new generation confuses Christmas with Santa Claus? Because Jesus sounds like Santa Claus. The person who give you good things. This look, this look. If you actually listen to the preaching that has changed, 
the modern Christian world for the past 20, 25 years, they only told you one said about God. And he looks like Santa Claus. What we don't see, if you don't know our Bible carefully, old and new carefully, is the God who loves good hates evil. The God who loves righteousness hates sin. The God who is a loving God is a vengeful God. A God who will not break a bruised reed or put off a flaxing, a smoking flax is a consuming fire. He will pour his love over all who love him, all who fear him, all who obey him, and he will also pour his wrath on all who reject the gospel and disobey him. Consume them. That's the two sides of God. Romans 11.22 This is how Paul puts it across. Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. Consider both please. He says the goodness of God and the severity of God. Goodness on those who fell severe. Severe. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the people within the body of Christ. Discipline is not for the world. Discipline is for the people in the world, in the in the body of Christ, for us, for Israel. God never went around smacking Babylonians. No, he smacked Israel. Okay, because he said, you are my people. Okay. If you, to a goodness, conditional. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise, you will also be cut off. Like I keep saying, when I show servants of God these all passages, it's news for them. They haven't seen these places. Let me show you another one. This is Apostle Paul. Let's listen to Apostle Peter. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey? Not hear. Obey the gospel of God. Now if the righteous one is scarcely, means our typical Indian hardly saved. Barely, hardly saved. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You see, these are the things that brings repentance. These are the things that we need to be very, very careful because the whole Old Testament and New Testament is a series of warning for what will happen. That's why the word repent is first used with God. God repented he had made man and he grieved in his heart and he took drastic action. Let us for math's sake, number's sake, sake, during Noah's time, let us say average number. Let us say, you don't know. So let's say 20, 1 crore people. Okay. 1 crore, which is 100 lakhs, which is 10 million. 10 million people. And only 8 got saved. And he wiped the rest out. And when the time for repentance was over and they were banging on the door, he shut his ears. He says, die. He shut his ears. You think God did not see people climbing on trees and the water level going, they're hanging on their feet, screaming, and he didn't see all of his own. He said, it's over. Time up. This is the reality the world is facing. 
That's an actual reality because when judgment is over, only thing that will be left is God and his holiness. And everyone who did not long after it and keep allowing the spirit to change them, God says, will be out. This is the reality. That is why the gospel has to be preached with urgency. It is not about good times. It is about the terrible wrath of God that is coming. It was the terrible wrath of God that was coming, warned by God to Noah that made him stand. Not the good times that will come later. No, it is the wrath of God that made him stand for 100 years building an ark. That's what God is talking about. And deception has been the enemy's greatest weapon. Greatest weapon. You think for a minute. Honestly, sometimes you, know, you have to think. Why would millions and millions of Chinese Christians choose to die for their faith than opt for a better life when they're offered that if it was not for the wrath of God? Think about it. Why would tens and thousands of North Koreans and Saudis and all these people, they're willing to die once they have known what salvation is. They would rather be killed by them than to be destroyed by God. Do you understand salvation? And we in the free world sit there and think this is a big joke. You hear about how they are killed in, 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 in the Middle East when they have been ISIS killed them. They crucified them alive. Nobody recanted. Nobody recanted. They all died. In Saudi they will cover you with a black this thing and that fellow with that huge sword will cut your head off. Nobody went back. Nobody went back. Everybody who was supposed to be executed for some other crime under the Sharia law cried for mercy. Not a single believer cried for mercy. They died because they knew it was better to die under this sword than the coming sword. That's the reality of why Jesus came and died. Because he didn't want any man to perish. So you have to look at the goodness of God and the severity of God. The severity of God on who all fell. Because everybody Christians have this fanciful idea your good works is going to take you to heaven. That is karma not salvation. It's not going to take you anywhere. God says if you haven't repented and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, not a single good work of yours, only the good work he did on the cross. You are. Your goose is cooked. You are hanging on a loose limb. You are in serious trouble. That is why the greatest deception is that. In Revelation chapter 6, when the seals are being opened, the first seal that is opened, a white horse comes. And I saw the lamb open one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. He went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard, as you have death and famine and everything following, but it all follows the first horseman. And the first horseman is deception because he is white. So people confuse him as Jesus. He is not Jesus. He has been given power. Jesus has power. He has been given a crown. Jesus is crowned with many crowns in Revelation 19. This is the deceiver coming. And God allowed him to deceive. Because they did not receive the love of truth, God allowed them to go to delusion thinking they are saved when they are not saved. God said, let them sit there. 
Because they don't, they don't really care. They don't want to change their lives. And subsequently you will see after the first horse leads to all that follows. Question. Why did Israel die in the desert? Because they were deceived. Why do Christians get deceived? Why would the last generation be the most deceived generation? Before the Antichrist comes, people in their billions would fall away. Why that would be the the most deceived generation? Have you ever thought? Though we have the Bible in every format possible, multiple translations, how many apps? Meetings of all nature. If you look at what is available to us, this generation, compared to earlier generation, how does this generation become the most deceived generation? Listen carefully, church. Reading the Bible is good. Hearing the word is good. Studying is good. Messages are good. All these are good. But the key to being safeguarded from deception. Old days pastors did not have to worry so much because he knew his congregation came to church and he was the one who was teaching them. All he had to do is that who who gave his pulpit. Now there is people sitting over here. I have absolutely no clue who you listen to. The only one I know who knows who he listens to is me. I don't even know which preacher my wife listens to. Because everybody's got apps. Nobody knows. So how do you safeguard? It is not, not, not so much knowing the word of God. Because it's people who are sitting in the church who are getting deceived. The people in the world are not deceived. They cannot, to be deceived, first you need to know the truth. Then only you can be deceived. It is not knowing the God of, the word of the, the word of God. It is knowing the God of the word. These are two different things. Knowing the word of God, knowing the God of the word are two different things. So the question is, how do I keep knowing the God of the word. It's simple. But God himself explains through the Bible. It is knowing the ways of God. That was Moses' success. From that day till the end of his life, you will see he walked with God. He made one mistake. That's all. He walked with God. He faced every opposition within the family, within the leadership, entire congregation. He stood there and faced it alone. God himself walked him up the mountain, his last journey. He died. God buried him. How did he manage? How did he succeed? It's simply because of, we know it so well, because of one prayer he prayed. You know that? One prayer. His prayer was not teach me your word. His prayer was, therefore I pray if I have found favor in your sight, Exodus 33, 13, show me now your way. There's a difference in knowing God's way and man's way. The difference in knowing God's way is God never changes. 
is the same yesterday, today and forever. So through the word of God, as the spirit shows the ways of God, you can be absolutely sure when somebody comes and preaches this, you will see not. Yeah, what you're saying is true, but it is not honest because you know what? My God doesn't change like that. And he doesn't talk the other side. You know the ways of God. God never changes. So it's best to our interest we learn the way of God than the ways of man. Because man is forever changing. Either with the world or with the word. He's changing. God never changes. That is the key. The key is knowing God. The ways of God so that when preachers keep coming and you have learned him, heard him once, you heard him twice, you heard him thrice, you heard him go back and hear him five years back and you realize, hey, something ain't clean in this milk. He's preaching the gospel, but he's preaching only half the gospel. And half the gospel will only give half the salvation, right? We need a full salvation. Jeremiah 9, this is what God says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Okay, if you are a wise man within the house of God, don't glory that you know the word of God so well. That's not what matters. There were many, many pundits in this world who know their Bible really well, but they don't know the God of their Bible. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor the... Let the rich man glory in his riches. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's the key. He says he understands me. When he, that's why Jesus issued with the disciple post-resurrection. He said, didn't you understand the scriptures were all about me? Did you understand? What are you reading your Torah for? <laughs> Did you understand it was about me? I mean, imagine, no? How frustrating it is for Jesus to rise up on resurrection Sunday morning and to see that nobody believed he would rise up. Can you think about it? Nobody believed. <laughs> well, for thousands of years, they're packed practicing all these rituals in the temple, which was about him coming. It's still the same. What are their festivals still to be fulfilled? The festival of the blowing of the... Oh, they are still blowing without realizing that the trumpets are being blown. You cannot hear unless the Spirit opens your ears. And they are making booths and they are living in tabernacles without realizing that when Jesus comes, they will be crying without realizing we practice this, but we don't allow him to tabernacle in us first. Practicing the festivals without understanding the person in it. Danger of knowing God's word. Without knowing the God of the word. Please understand this. Today morning when my, and I were come, my wife and we were coming to church. I was listening to that young man. Uh, the singer I said who was there at my meeting a couple of weeks back. Just a new song and I was listening. I told him, you look at this young man. And she doesn't understand the language. I said, do you know what he's singing? I said, do you know what he's singing? He's singing about the merchant who found the pearl. And he sold everything 
to acquire the pearl. And he's singing that words in Nepali, actually saying, Lord, in Nepali, I will give my entire life to possess you. And then he reads from Philippians in the song, Lord, all I want is to share in your sufferings that I know you. I said, you know what? These are young men who wants to know God. Famous young men. But they want to know God. They are not looking at fame. They are not looking at money. They are not looking at all this. These are specks in this generation who really, really want to know you. What lyrics I said? I said, I haven't heard these lyrics in English. Please remember this. Something you need to know. Everything in creation. Everything. Animate, inanimate. Everything in creation is ultimately serving the purposes of God. Even the devil serves God. He uses the devil even to achieve his purposes. He uses the devil to separate the wheat and the chaff. The true and the false. If God doesn't allow, the devil cannot deceive. God allows the devil to deceive so that the true and the false can be separated. Understand that. That's what he does. John chapter 13, verse 27, and then verse 30. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. In verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he went then out immediately and it was night. God used the devil during a communion service to separate Judas from the rest of the apostles. Get out. Better know this God and tremble at his ways. Don't take him lightly. That's what scripture says. Any man who thinks he stands, lest beware he falls. God is not fooled by our piety and our religious activities. He's always looking at our heart. Which way is your heart turned? Be very careful. Let me ask you these rhetorical questions because we have to look at these questions to understand. Oh my God, this is this really true. I didn't see it this way. Let's look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took off the spirit that was upon him, that is Moses, and placed the same upon the 70 elders and it happened when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied although they never did so again. Okay, the Holy Spirit came, which was on, which was on Moses, God took it. On 70 of the chosen elders, suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon 70 of them and they also prophesied. Do you see that? You all see that. Let's look at another portion, five chapters later. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleg, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. Let me ask you, in these leaders of this congregation, don't you think some of the 70 were there upon the Holy Spirit was there? Yes? Yet, well, they were swallowed up to hell. The Spirit left them and they went straight to hell. 
You know what happens in chapter 16, right? They oppose Moses. They said, why are you the only one who speaks from God? We are all holy. God said, stop Moses. Separate them. Separate them. I'll show them. Who is holy, who is not holy. Scripture says, the first time somebody literally went into hell, the earth opened and the leadership went down. A part of the leadership went down. Do you think they were not in Numbers 11, upon whom the Holy Spirit came and they prophesied? Both are leaders. The spirit left and they plunged straight into hell. That's what Thessalonians is saying. What is holding it now? The restrainer. Once the restraint is lifted, the lawless ones will be. The Holy Spirit was lifted, the lawless ones were revealed in the camp of Israel. Who were that? The leaders. And God says, take them. It's yours, devil. You can have them. See, we don't Look at Bible carefully. If you only look at one side, we don't realize the urgency of the gospel. They had a portion of the spirit. The problem is they did not know the ways of God. That's why repentance is surrender from the heart where you still can be touched and restored by God. So, David begins his life with the surrender of his heart. Therefore, even though he got deceived into sin, enticed into sin, he could still be restored. Why? Because he started well. His starting was very good. It was a heart change, not a mind change. If it's a mind change, what will happen? You fall. Actually, if uh, she hadn't been bathing in public, I wouldn't have fallen. That's what happens when it is just a mind change and not a heart change. When it's a heart change, I have sinned against you. Everybody is okay. The kingdom is okay. The army is okay. Betsheba is okay. Everybody is okay. Nobody has any issues of what has happened. But Lord, I know you are not okay and my heart convicts me every day. And I want to put it right with you. And I know if I have to put it right with you, something has to happen here. Give me a clean heart, not a soothing mind, a clean heart to God. Therefore, God could restore him because his heart was right with God. Because the devil can deceive. It's not that any one of us is immune from deception. We are all open. But the question is, what is your heart like? Where is your heart? Look at Second Samuel 24, 1 and First Chronicles 21, 1. You have to look at this play with words, okay? Now the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. That's one history. Now look, it's parallel history in Chronicles. Same thing described in another terms. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So who moved David, God or Satan? Satan. What did God do? Just lifted his hand and said, you can have him. Even Satan serves the devil. Sorry, Satan serves God. The devil serves God. Understand that. He saw the pride of Israel. All getting proud. God says, okay, they need to be taught a lesson. Because I want to talk to them. I want to continue having a relationship with them. I love, these are my people. Israel is my firstborn. 
the purpose of salvation is an ongoing process and the ongoing process can only happen when we god speaks to us and god being humble can only speak to the humble he cannot speak to the proud so he allowed satan to because he saw they all getting proud inside them and the hand of god comes upon the heavenly everybody humbles why do you think christians have more problems than others because god is humbling us so that he can talk to us That's why I like Charles Spurgeon's that take on two days back. He says in the old covenant, they were pro- promised prosperity. In the new covenant, we are promised adversity. But I'm not saying adversity makes you humble. Adversity doesn't make you humble unless you see the hand of God and you understand the ways of God. This is the purpose. This is the purpose. That's what is happening here. He was incited by the enemy. But as soon as God appeared in the picture and says, Lord, why is this happening? What do I do? God says, I give you three choices. Choice one, A. B, C. What do you want? He says, C, I'll fall on your hand. 70,000 died. You need to understand what scripture means. King says, I will come under your hand. 70,000 of his mightiest soldiers died. Why? Because you thought you were so strong. Look at our army. We have never been defeated. King David has been ruling us for donkey's years. We have never lost a battle. Israel is the mightiest. God said, Israel, you have no clue. You are winning only because of me. It's got nothing to do with your strength. Now you are counting your strength. He says, instead in one swoop, I will take 70 of your mighty men that you will never boast about your strength. So that you will be humble. That's why we need to understand the ways of God. Don't get fooled with half a gospel. What happens if you go wrong at step one? That is repentance. Your repentance was only a mental ascent and not at the heart level. Because your true nature was not actually revealed to you. Have you seen crusades? Miracle services? And the prayer of salvation at the end, if you listen carefully through that entire service, you will very rarely hear the word repent. So if you say you got saved in a crusade when the foundation block was not laid, what was your salvation like? You see, because you never were cut to the heart and you really, really never, never really repented and came into the house of God, into the kingdom of God. You came through a crusade or something like that where repentance was not preached. You know what you happen? You become a Christian with an entitlement mentality. You believe God owes you favors every day. And then to them, if you preach, name it, claim it, have it, they believe it. Because that's how you came in. Nobody has named themselves into the kingdom of God. Nobody has claimed an inheritance in the kingdom of God. They come through the doorway of repentance. And it is heartbreaking. Because he breaks your heart. That's what happens. When Jesus started preaching, John started preaching. Apostles started preaching. They never changed the gospel. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, when Jesus begins saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. 
unbelief. Repent and turn to God. You cannot believe without repenting. If I don't repent and I say I have believed, I only made mental accent. Yeah, I like it. Of course, I want to go to heaven when I die. Good, I'll continue my life, but I accept that. That is salvation without repentance. Salvation with repentance means I am going there and I hear. You go this way, you are doomed. You will go to an eternity without God, a place where the fire never dies, where the worms don't die, and darkness you can feel. That's a place you're going to. Oh my God, Lord, I'm turning back. God says, you have repented. And as you turn back and as you go further, he shows you, this is what you have to put away. Yes, Lord, because your first putting away was real, second putting away, third reading, it's all easy because the first was genuine. When the first was not genuine, God has to send a prophet to warn you. Why should it be like that? That's all. Who came? Samuel. To David, who came? Nathan. God. Chunku prophets. Who was to Saul? The big one. Did he make any difference? No. So what does this prophet finally have to say? He says, you know what? I will pray for you all the days of my life. What are you actually praying for? That he will repent and get saved. But he will never see my face again. He will not see my face again. This is where we need to understand. When Jesus started preaching the gospel, the first word of the gospel is repent. Let there be a change of heart. Then a change of mind, a change of desire, everything. Let there be start a change of heart. Because if there is no change of heart, rest is all information stored. It doesn't bring in about any change. But there is this change of heart. Then as the information comes in, you are able to receive it. In Mark 6 verse 12. So they went out. Jesus sends the disciples. So they went out and preached that people should. What did they preach? What did they preach? Is that what you hear today? Honestly, check channels. I don't check, but I'm saying check. Whichever Christian channel on YouTube, internet. Is that what they preach? Every time they tell you only once that how much God loves you, which is true. That's why his son died. Therefore repent. God loves you and me is History. God died for me. Is salvation. That only happens after repentance. In Luke chapter 16 verse 20. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is lying in hell. And having trying to have a conversation through walkie talkie with Abraham. Verse 20, 27 and 28. He's appealing to father Abraham. He said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. It's actually another, the, 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 yeah, go to verse 30. Again, the conversation is coming. He says, no, you cannot go from here and there. They have the law and the prophets and all. But verse 30, the gospel of hell, from hell, not hell, gospel from hell. He said, no, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, they will... That's exactly what Jesus said. I've come from the dead. Repent now. If one has come from the dead and preached to us and we don't repent, God says, that's it. Nothing more to say. I send prophets. I send all these people. Now one has risen from the dead. 
So the gospel from hell is also repent. That's why Jesus wants over and over and over. Do not be deceived. And if any one of us sitting over here, all of us, if we think the devil does not know either scripture or the ways of God better than us, we are mistaken. He knows God, his word, and his ways. Look at Ezekiel 28 and verse 14. You were the anointed. You were not an ordinary cherub. You were the anointed cherub. Who covers? I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Proximity. In this church of sitting over here. My spiritual life. Who I am now. Who knows best? My wife and my son. Pastor Vijay. Sometimes Pastor Vijay more than my wife. Because there is stuff which I talk to him. Pastor to Pastor Vijay. I won't even talk to my wife. Proximity. Proximity means you get to know the other person better. That's why all these new, new books will write. One fellow who was specialized into President Trump will come out and write a book. 500 days in the White House. Why? Proximity. (laughs) If Satan were to write a book, it would be a bestseller. He will say 500 million years in the White House. (laughs) The whitest house. He knows God. He knows the word. And he's not limited by our human body. He was closer to God than any angel. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were the covering cherub. What does that mean? <laughs> you see, this is how I understand. Okay, it's Maybe I'm faulty. You have the tabernacle mercy seat made. And this is post man's fall and all. And the two cherubs which are covering the mercy seat. Before the fall I believe Satan covered God's throne. Light bearer. The light he was bearing was the glory of God as he covered God. That was who he was. Do you think he doesn't know God? Do you think he doesn't understand the word? In verse 15 it says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. He has unparalleled knowledge of God. Okay? So what does proximity do? It gives you incredible insight about the person. But when you fall, you can twist it a little. A little. A twist in the tail. A little. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. He brought him to Jerusalem. The devil, Satan, brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give you angels, his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He brought Jesus right up to the temple and said, You can jump. Why? It's written. He absolutely picked one scripture which will apply to that situation. And he said, do it. Jesus said, I know the ways of my God. You don't test him. You know the word. I know the word. 
and I know his ways. There's one thing you don't do. You don't test God. Do you understand how you escape deception? They will come and preach the word. But if you don't know the ways of God, he knew the ways of God. And you know, you know what? What you are saying is scripture. But I know one thing. God doesn't do stuff that way. (laughs) You are misapplying the word of God to the person of God. Do you think the devil cannot give pastors mind-boggling revelations? I don't call them pastors. The world calls them pastors. I call them masters. Mind-boggling revelations. Because the devil will trap you at every level. If he cannot get you, get you in the outer courts, he will get you in the holy place. The only safe place, the anchor of hope is beyond the curtain where he cannot get you. That's why scripture talks about get in there. That is the only safe place everywhere you can be deceived. Because those who know the word get fascinated by revelations. And they are fascinating. I have listened to a lot of the big ones. They are fascinating. Until you come and see the little twist over there. Then you realize that twist will take you so farther away from the ways of God. Because if you don't know the person of God, the ways of God, the enemy can fool you with scripture itself. Deceive you To go against God's will in your life with scripture itself. That's the danger. That's why we need to appreciate both sides of God. As we saw in Romans 11.22. Consider what? The severity and the goodness and the severity of God. And on those who fell severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his he says, continue in his goodness. Problem is, Lord, how do I continue in goodness? God says, read my word. Romans chapter 2. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to? Oh yes, if you're constantly repenting, you're walking in his goodness. That's how you know you are continuing in his goodness. A repented life, a constantly changing life is proof that you're walking in the goodness of God. Not your outward prosperity. Your inward prosperity. You know you are changing. Because to change, you need information from God. He speaks to you, you realize, you change, Lord, I'm putting it away. I'm putting it away. I'm putting it away, Lord. I am putting it away. Continue in his goodness. Don't get fooled. Because the devil is a master at deception. And he deceives Christians. Often because they don't know their God or his ways. That's why he prayed, show us your ways. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first. Seek ye first. What does it mean? 2 Corinthians 4.18 How to escape deception, I'm telling you. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Okay, what does that mean? While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are? Ah. Things which are unseen are eternal. Things which are seen are? 
So how does the poor pastor lying in a dungeon in China survive? Because he's looking at the things that are unseen. What is looking at the scene? If I say, no Jesus, I am free. If I say, only Jesus, I die. But he looks at the unseen. Where do you see? When you are going through trouble in your life, where, where are your eyes on? The seen or the unseen? How do you seek the kingdom of God first? The kingdom of God is in a, is a spiritual realm. Do you put that first? In Colossians 1, where the 3 verses 1 to 4, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see? You have to read every line carefully. Look at things above. Don't look at things below. Keep your mind on things above. Don't put your minds on a law. And then all that will work consistently. Lord, how do I... It's not saying that you should be stargazers. That's not what he's saying. How do I do this practically? How do? Because in your heart, something has to change. This is where it changes in heart. Christ is your life. What is your life? What is your life? You know, everybody preaches that word. So many people preach and Derek Prince has often, of course, preached the best. He said from Deuteronomy, I said before you life and death, blessing. Can I have that? Blessing and curses. Choose. Choose life. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Okay? Everybody reads that book, they pray the prayers, and they break curses, and they break iniquity, and they do all this stuff. It still doesn't work. You know why? Because you miss the core. The core is this, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is, he is your life. We know that in normal language, you know, tu mere jaan hai. Can you say that to Jesus? To Mary John, eh? I would rather die without you. That's how saints have survived 2000 years. You're given a life in this temporary realm and a life with him. They said we choose it because he's our life. He's our life. Because if you go wrong at this building blocks, all you see is troubles and troubles and troubles and fighting the troubles. Never understanding God, His ways of fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Short-circuited most Christians. Why? Christians are really not able to pray for the kingdom. They are always praying for their troubles. (laughs) For the things that are seen are Temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal. Now let us look at the most powerful words with many teachers use, but there's a twist at the tail. How they twist the tail at the end. You know, the dog's tail can go like this, a lion's one like this, and then twist over here. That's where. No, no. Uh, I will come to that later. Let's, let's look at how Jesus puts it so beautifully, okay? You have to read these verses. Don't skip through Bible. Don't do your daily devotions. Be devoted to the word. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not 
life more than food and body more than clothes? Think about a minute. What do you say? Everybody is working to eat. What are you working for? So that at the end of the month you will get your salary. Tomorrow day after you will get your salary. You will buy your rations. And this is better weekend. Isn't life more than food? Is, have you really thought about life? See, I always, I have my uh, barometer, okay, how? It's my personal one. Best in terms of religion, best Christianity. Second, Judaism. Third, Buddhism. Up there for me, third is Buddhism. Because that man who was a prince looked at everything and he saw this death taking place and says, what's the meaning of life? What's the point in me sitting in a palace having a life and I see people death? I need an answer to life. That's why he walked out and he became Buddha. Though he couldn't find an answer, but the fact is that he questioned life. Question God is this. Everybody who is working, slogging to eat, to build a house, to send your children to college, he says, isn't life more than that? How do you see life? Is your life any different than your father's? Except for the times? Or your grandfather's? They also ate, they also worked, they sent you to school. Now you also work, you also eat, you send your child to school. Is, is this life? Is this life? And body more than clothing? Everybody who woke up in the morning, first thing is what will I wear? He says, have you ever thought about the one who can throw the body into eternal fire? Did you think about your body in those terms? Do you understand scripture the day when I come in the clouds, your body should be blameless? Do you remember? Do you seriously think about life? Simple question. And he's not asking an educated crowd, a simple set of poor people sitting there and he's asking them, how do you see life? Seek you first the kingdom of God. Comes after this. Are you getting it? And the most profound words, let me come to that, about faith. How faith preaches twist it. Quietly twist it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Everybody knows the definition of faith here. Most of us know. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Keep your eyes on the how come they use faith for all the seen things only. How come they only talk about faith and connect it to the things that you can see? Believe for a house. Believe for a car. Believe. These are all seen things. But faith is a substance of things, hope for the evidence of things unseen in that realm. By which the elders obtained a good testimony. Hebrews chapter 11, the entire chapter is talking about a set of people who lived before us and put their faith in the unseen. Able by faith, offered a better sacrifice, more excellent sacrifice. And therefore he had a good report with God. And we know from Genesis chapter 4, right? Genesis chapter 4. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn. That is only by faith. Remember the last night service message? Put God first this year. How do you put first? You can only put God first when you offer him your first. Otherwise you cannot. And only the first can you offer by faith. 
Because if I bring my second born, I already have kept the first born for myself. But when I'm giving the first born, I don't know whether I will have a second born. I don't know whether my wife will have another child. I will not know whether my cow will calf again. I will not know whether my sheep will have another lamb. So only the first one can be given by faith because you have seen into the unsold realm the one who rewards those who come by faith. You're not looking at your cow. You're looking at him who is in the unseen realm. The elders obtained a reward, a testimony because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So God heard Hannah's prayer when she said, Lord, finally, Shiloh, visit after visit, finally she said, Lord, give me a son. He shall be yours all the days of my life. His life. God said, deal. She gave him her son. Scripture says later, she had three more sons and two more daughters. That's God's reward. Understand these things. Enoch walked with God. It's a man in the seen realm, walking in the unseen realm. And it is costing him on the seen realm. Because he was taken alive. Alone. No baby, no bache. So to walk in the unseen realm by faith, it is costing you in the unseen realm. And you can only do it by faith. Noah built an ark and not a house. Built an ark, not a, we build houses. He built an ark. Why? Because God told him something is going to happen. You want to save your family? It's the only thing. Abraham, chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. was my issue with Christians everywhere. Identity politics. Everywhere. One of the things God dealt with me right in the beginning. He said, your identity comes from the kingdom of God. You're not Indian first. You're not Indian second. You're not Indian third. You belong to the kingdom. That's all. Why is the issues? Everybody sees the identity Different from their spiritual identity. You are a white Christian. You are a black Christian. You are a ready Christian. You are this Christian. You Syrian Christian. Armenian Christian. There's nothing like that in the Bible. There's only one. Your citizenship is of heaven. 99% of the problems that we face in Christian nations is coming because of your identity. Because you forgot who you were in Christ. And you don't get into that bait and get caught by the bait by saying, oh, you are hearing this white supremacy, white supremacy, white, it's a bait. It's a bait. Because you don't see what is happening. They have connected white supremacy to Christianity, to hate Christianity. Because they have made Christianity into the white man religion. Don't fall for that bait. Don't you fall for the bat. Christianity is not the white man's religion. It is the religion of heaven. Don't fall for it. He lived as in a foreign land. Dwelling in tents. He didn't build a house. Neither None of the three richest people on earth built a house. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is 
that is the key by faith because he was looking into the unseen realm have you realized how these incredible preachers have taken the most powerful words in the bible about faith and twisted it and brought you right back into the world from which god saved you was telling pastor vijay yes sir i said pastor vijay yes sir you know you are very good in science no i said the thing is that you know i am supposed to go from here to here but if the coordinates are not visible to the eye but actually factored in where i only turn like 0.002 millimeters every day after a period of time i will have turned full circle that's what happened to christians they all started these deceivers came in twisted a little twisted a little twisted a little and they have no clue they have turned all the way back and they're going into perdition that's what he said my soul will not be pleased god says my righteous shall walk by faith but if he draws back my soul will not be pleased with him the walk of faith is keeping our eyes on the unseen realm not on the seen that's a danger that has happened that's what god is talking about here look at words 13 to 16 powerful verses these all died in faith meaning they didn't get it not having received the promises but having seen them far off were assured of them embraced them confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth look at their confession at today's confession today what are we confession i will have a house in jesus name i believe for it five bedrooms two cars i am believing they confessed what did they confess we are pilgrims strangers in this land we have no house we have no possessions we are living look at their confession and our confession how warped have we become taken the glory of god and made into the image of a carved image look at their confession look at our confession for those who say such things declare plainly they see okay ah let's see your confession will declare what you are seeking if you are seeking a heaven on earth that is what you will get if you are seeking a place there that is what you will get that is what you will get true you will receive according to your confession they twisted scripture then and if they had called if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out they would have had opportunity to and if they wanted to build something over here they had opportunities but they refused it is an act of faith they refused but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country therefore god is not ashamed to call them their god and he has prepared a city for them he says i am their god i am only the god of those who are eyes are there those who are eyes are here they have another god the god of this world that's why he said seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness these things i will add what you need in life i will add it may be a house it may be a tent it be a car it may be a bike you don't worry about it because in the volume of my book every day of yours has been recorded your job is to find it and walk in it that is faith that is faith are we getting Why this pehla patar thoda uthana hai aaj malayalam we say moolakal the foundation the question is not whether the message is true or not the question is whether 
The message is honest to who God is. And the kingdom of God is. Is it the kingdom of God that we are preaching? Or we are preaching the kingdom of man? Everything is good. Healing is good. Of course it is good. I believe in healing with all my heart. And I walked in it for years. Deliverance is good. I cast out flying demons off my life every day. Just go out of that window, but go through that one. This has a mesh, you may get, get stuck inside. Go that way. Okay. Prosperity is good. But all of them can be turned to self and to this world instead to Christ and to the kingdom. That's the promise. That's the problem. We can seek these good things without our eyes on Christ or the kingdom. That's why in Mark chapter 1, verse 37 and 38, with the whole town early in the morning, all the sick, all the ill, everybody has come because whole last night Jesus healed. Early morning they all have come. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Pura shahar gaya. Aapke intasar kar rahe. Jesus said, let's go. You know why he said, let's go? They are only in, interested in the miracles. They are not interested in salvation. They are not interested in the matters that affect the soul. They are only interested in the things that affect the body. Let's go. Remember the rich young ruler? Turned away as soon as he heard the price of the kingdom. Remember Luke 17? Verse 17 and 18. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Imagine you were a leper and you heard, you obeyed and you got cleansed and you never come back. So you were never interested in the king or the kingdom. You are only interested in your healing. Do you know why he denounced the cities where he did miracles? Did you know that? The very cities he denounced his miracles. And I believe he will denounce the churches also where he did his miracles. Why? Matthew 11, 20. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not. Ah, that was the purpose of the miracle, dear one. The purpose of the miracle was that you would repent. That was the purpose of the miracle. You took the miracle and you went away without repenting. And he says, curse to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you. Don't you understand what this was all about? You think I have come here to show some good works? You think I am a magician? The purpose was to get you into the kingdom before the wrath of my father comes. Did you understand? You see, that's the problem. If we don't understand the ways of God, we will receive the works and walk away. Because we didn't understand the works of God. That's why Moses prayed. Moses prayed, Lord, teach me your ways, please. I need to know who you are. I want to know you are. We know that famous verse in Psalm 103. In verse 7. He made known his ways to. And only his mighty works to. Therefore what happened? Israel never repented. So they all died in the desert. Because they never understood God. They didn't ever dream in their wildest imagination. This God would with a powerful hand destroy the armies of Egypt. And bring them out. And actually not let them go into the promised land and kill them here. They didn't ever think. 
Because they only saw one side of God. He is good, he is good, he is good. God said, I am good, I am severe too. Smack them all off in the desert. That is where they got fooled. Because they didn't understand the ways of God. And that's where we have to be very, very careful. If we don't understand the ways of God, we are sitting on a time bomb. (laughs) That's what I said, be careful. God is not a magician. Everything he does, he does for a purpose. And the purpose is connected with the kingdom. And if God doesn't give us discernment, we are doomed. We are doomed. So everything, I heard a very powerful man of God preaching this year. Very powerful, very well known. I'm not mentioning names, it's not my business. But he was using this text. This is the text he uses. Okay? Yeah, from Luke chapter 18. So he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and the age to come eternal life. So he was also prophesying about 2019 be a year of prosperity. How much they are going to receive here? Many times here in this present time. The problem is, he forgot to mention to them the context. The context is based on a question and the answer. The question is this. Peter said, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Let me ask you to apply this scripture. What did you leave to follow him? You think these are blank promises? No. This is an answer to your question. Peter said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. And he is putting a promise into history. Anytime in history says, if any man has left for me and my kingdom's sake, you will receive. That is the context. And please don't apply everything into suffering for Christ. No, many of my sufferings was because of my own goofiness. That's why my name is Goofy. There are sufferings of Christ, yes. There are sufferings which I created on my own. Don't call that the suffering of Christ. And say I will get a reward for God. Says no, you will get a kick on your pants for that. No reward for that. Lot of people miss, they have suffered in their life, which God says is normal to every fallen man. Oh, I suffered in my marriage. Yes, everybody suffering in their marriage. That's why it is called long suffering. <laughs> Engagement ring, wedding ring, and then long suffering. Because that is not the sufferings of Christ. If there is somebody who suffered in his marriage, it was, you know. That he said, he suffered because he chose to walk with me. So don't confuse these things. Be very clear you understand what you are asking and what is the context in God's word. That is the context. The question is, what did you leave for him for the sake of the kingdom? In Hebrews 6, after the foundation and dire warnings of all those who have experienced all this, if they cannot be, if they go away, they cannot be turned to repentance, God says something similar. Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Oh. Things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards His name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He says, He says, you know, God remembers all that. That's why He says, even if you give a cup of water for my name's sake, not for glory here, my name's sake. You'll think, Are, how by the next time, pastor, everybody who brings this is going to get a reward. No, that's not. That's not what it means. 
you have to context it then you understand what it will cost you to give a cup of water to a pastor the pastor who was arrested four weeks back in china and if he's in a prison cell if i as a church member find him and take a cup of water for him i also will be inside that's what will cost him to give my pastor a glass of water there because i have been identified as one of the underground believers that's what will cost you so he says you will get his reward because you joined in his sufferings understand scripture how kingdom works as a power of the kingdom that's a close please children i know many of you are very intellectual christians because you watch the news and you read stuff all up but be very very careful god doesn't want intellectual christians which is good he wants simple believing christians who believe the word simply believe the word america where everybody looks and waits in the queue in metal cages for a green card has come a full circle the land of the free where capitalism thrived and created most of the wealth the world enjoys today the latest poll says 60 to 70% of the people want socialism how a country can go a full circle not a full circle they've gone in the opposite what does socialism means job guaranteed house guaranteed healthcare guaranteed everything is guaranteed by the government why we don't like this inequality the fundamental truth you need to understand where there is liberty there is inequality because liberty gives you the freedom to make your own choices and because we don't make the same choices we are not the same here even in the kingdom of god we are not the same here even in the kingdom of god people won't be equal because we are making free choices because we are free to make those choices but the minute you have equality freedom is taken away the only way you can have equality is in the absence of freedom understand that don't get into this junk that is being taught in the universities and you look at the poll most of the respondents who ask for socialism are from the universities of us because you have a generation who doesn't want to work but wants the benefits of labor without working getting into a trap understand all these things children understand all these things which way the world because that's what the antichrist will offer i will give you guarantee guaranteed house guaranteed job guaranteed hell you just take my mark guaranteed but i will take your liberties i will tell you whom to worship how to worship first thing i will touch is your liberty to worship you will bow before that image that will speak to you you do that i offer you socialism guaranteed healthcare guaranteed food guaranteed job everything is guaranteed if i can have your worship i give you socialism those who walk by faith look at that unseen kingdom and say i will die i prefer to die than to have your socialism and i'm not talking about socialism as socialism i'm talking about don't get deceived there are no freebies in life don't go anywhere everywhere something free is being offered there is a trap there 
Salvation is free because he paid. After that, every inch you will sweat. There's a price to be paid. And all those who wear crowns in heaven can be very sure they're paid with blood, sweat and tears. Shall we stand? We have two minutes to go. Father, this morning we just come to you. We look into scripture and your word says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to see, Lord, the kindness and the goodness of God. And stay in that with constant repentance, constantly hearing from God and making changes into our life to please you. Not to please anybody else. But to please you, Lord. Because life is about you. Because you are our life. There's no life outside you, Lord. Because you proclaimed 2,000 years ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You are the life. That's the life we seek more and more. Therefore, Father, this morning, we surrender. From our hearts, we surrender. The question we ask, each day is, what will you have us do? That's what life is all about, post-surrender. To do thy will, Lord. As we go into the end of this month, another month starting, I pray, Father, you would go before us. We need to hear. We need to keep our eyes on the unseen. We keep, need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. All of us, all of us, including me, all of us are open to deception, Lord. There's only one place, one safe place. It's behind the curtain. We cling on to you, Lord, there. The presence behind the curtain, that is the anchor of our soul. Help us, not just to sing, take us past the outer courts. Take us into that holy of holies, Lord, and keep us there. I bless your church in your name. I bless them above all with a repentant heart and with hearing ears. Above all, Lord, a heart that constantly repents and ears that hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.